0: The Guardian.
1: Welcome back to Big Picture Politics, Guardian Australia's politics podcast. I'm political editor Lenore Taylor. And in this episode, we ask, what would a good budget look like? We've had endless discussions already about what the government can afford to do with this budget politically, what it can afford to do economically, and how those things line up against the Prime Minister's promise that his budget won't hurt household budgets. We've had a few pre-placed stories about some of what the government intends to do, but with not many sleeps now until Budget Day, we're gonna sweep all that aside and do something completely different. We're going to imagine a world where the government wasn't worried about opinion polls and the Prime Minister wasn't worried about leadership rivals and the last budget hadn't been an unmitigated disaster and there was no hostile Senate and just consider the question. In Australia's current social and economic circumstances, what would a good budget look like? To do this, I'm joined by John Daly, Chief Executive of the Grattan Institute think tank, Stephen Kukoulas, Managing Director of the Market Economics Consultancy Firm, and Cassandra Goldie, Chief Executive of the Australian Council of Social Service. Thanks to you all for joining me. We're going to play a game. You've heard of fantasy football. Well, this is kind of fantasy budget cabinet. We're going to pretend we are the Budget Cabinet. People seem to like to call the Budget Cabinet a gang, you know, the Razor Gang. I saw the Expenditure Review Committee called the Gang of Six. So we'll be the Gang of Four. And due to our being slightly short on numbers, we're both the ERC and the Revenue Committee of Cabinet all rolled into one. John Daly... Would you please be the Treasurer, Stephen Kukoulas? You can be the Finance Minister, Cassandra Goldie. You're responsible for all the spending portfolios. And since I'm chairing the meeting, it seems I'm the Prime Minister. That's a truly scary thought. Okay, John, let's start by looking at the big economic picture. What is the big picture that this uh, budget discussion is working with? What, you know, what are the parameters for what we're trying to do here?
2: It's got two big things it has to think about. Firstly, the economy is carrying along, but it's not particularly strong. So we're nervous about economic growth. We're nervous that if the budget is too tight, uh, we may dampen the animal spirits and we'll see uh, a recession and all of the unemployment that goes with that. So that's pressure number one. And then in the opposite direction, we've got a budget which has been in deficit now for... Uh, Well, by the time we've announcing this budget, six years in a row, and we're probably going to be announcing another four years worth of deficits, uh, unless we do something pretty material. Uh, That's far too long. Uh, That's imposed a very substantial cost on future generations. So we need to come up with a budget which both reduces uh, that deficit over the medium term, uh, and also doesn't do too much to crimp economic growth in the meantime.
1: Okay, so John said the economy is relatively weak. uh, and that the deficits are continuing and that's a problem that we need to look at. Stephen, what's our starting point in terms of the numbers for this budget?
0: Well, given that economic backdrop, um, it appears as though the budget will be in deficit for the next few years and it seems to be more a question of the revenue side that's causing the grief. That we're just not getting enough revenue given the spending priorities that were put in place by previous governments and the ones that are being implemented by the current government. So. You're looking at how to frame the budget bottom line, given that there is a, a legitimate and worthy objective of getting back to a balance or a small surplus when the economy is strong enough to withstand it. And I think that's the point from John, that uh, moving to surplus is a worthy objective, but, and it's a very important but, only when the economy is strong enough to do it. And given, Which isn't now. Which isn't now, probably, given... Given the concerns about uh, commodity prices, some of the sogginess in the Chinese economy, and some uncertainty in the eurozone and even the U.S., we're probably not going to get the global impetus to get our economy stronger and let the automatic stabilizers repair the budget. So there's this question: uh, whether if we want a fast track to uh, towards surplus, we need to take some discretionary changes and it probably has to be on the revenue side. On expenditure, uh, we know that spending to GDP according to the latest numbers are above the long run average, so it's not, so there is some something to be said for uh, part of the budget problem is a spending one, uh, and of course that involves difficult decisions. If you cut spending, you're taking money away from people.
1: So, Cassandra, obviously a lot of government spending is locked in and we haven't got a lot of extra cash to spare. There's a lot of other things in the economy we need to take into consideration. But in your view, what new things do we absolutely need to spend money on right now and why?
3: Well, obviously for us, the most important expenditure is to make sure that we are reducing the... um deep levels of poverty that do exist in Australia and to make sure that we are um, not exacerbating further inequality. So for us, obviously, um, it's very important that we invest properly in the supports of people who are locked out of the labour market. And there's no doubt we've got this growing long-term unemployment um, where we know from previous um, periods of a recession don't invest properly to help people back into paid work um, the long-term implications are severe so certainly we want to see the um, adequacy of that unemployment payment got something that's vaguely bearable to live on um, and to invest in proper expenditure to support people into paid work experience.
1: Okay Uh, Treasurer Daly do you see any spending priorities that we need to definitely need to do right now?
2: I don't see anything that we definitely need to increase money on, but uh, there's clearly a number of things that we do need to get under control over the medium term. And probably the best place to be starting is age pensions. Uh, one in every $10 that we spend is on age pensions. And while some of that goes to people who really need it and who don't own their own house and are on the full pension, uh, over half of it goes to people who've got more than half a million dollars in assets, obviously including the houses they're living in. That's a really big opportunity. Essentially, we're running a big taxpayer-funded inheritance scheme here. Uh, and uh, that's the spending that we need to, that I'd I'd be suggesting that we uh, look at first uh, to see if we can get this budget back into balance. The other thing that will be quite good about that uh, is that we, if we, for example, set it up so that you could keep getting the age pension, we'd just take it as a debt against the house instead, it um, wouldn't actually have any real impact on the economy. We'd see the same amount going out uh, as, as we speak, uh, but it would materially improve our budget balance uh, in the medium term. So uh, that's what I'm going to suggest that we have a long, hard look at.
1: Are there other savings that you would suggest we could do straight away?
2: Look, the other thing to look long and hard at uh, in the short term is the way that we set up pharmaceuticals. Um, We pay out a lot of money uh, under the pharmaceutical benefits scheme. Uh, Far too much of that scheme has been set up in a way that... um, it means that we are paying a lot more for pharmaceuticals than lots of other countries around the world. You know, not third-world countries, but places like New Zealand and Canada and the UK. Indeed, as a federal government, we're paying more for a lot of drugs than the state government hospitals, which does seem a little odd. Uh, and that means that we're going to have to bite the bullet, um, work out how we can reduce uh, some of those uh, expenditures on, on generic pharmaceuticals. Now, of course, the um, uh, Pharmacy Guild is no doubt going to scream in unison when we do this, uh, but it's something that we need to do. There's no point in Australians paying more than they should for pharmaceuticals. And again, it's going to have no impact on the Australian economy. The people who will be big losers in this uh, will be essentially foreign pharmaceutical companies.
1: Okay, Stephen, have you got some ideas about where we could save money?
0: Look, I think we've covered off a lot of them, but um, the uh, expenditure on uh, superannuation is, is very... Uh, significant it's large it's easy to do, and as John touched on, it doesn't materially impact the current economic conditions because you're allowing people to access money in their house through some form of let's call it a hex uh, for the age pension if you like, where it only really uh, hurts the inheritor when the the person passes away so there's so there's that sort of side of the economy on i think um uh, where there's going to be a little bit more interest will be on on some of the revenue measures. And I think that that's where we get to look at uh, whether there's something that can be done on uh, tax compliance issues. I think I'd be fast tracking the uh, obligations of the multinationals to pay their fair uh, share of tax. And even Australian companies who have global uh, businesses to make sure that they pay more back into our local economy than shuffling money around the world so that we lose so we don't lose that money from the budget
1: Cassandra do you have some ideas about where we could find some savings oh, absolutely on the
3: retirement income front you know we've strongly advocated um, the uh, resetting of the assets test to save money there back to the sort of pre two thousand seven um, changes getting rid of that senior supplement that the government is trying to do and we think that the other party should support that um, and um, I think we've had um, now almost a decade of experience with private health insurance rebate I'm, um, I know that Grattan has a view on that and we support it as well but we think that the private insur- health insurance rebate is not delivering on what we should be seeing in terms of uh, a universal and more affordable access to health care um, private trusts you know Gee, it'd be good if we could be prepared to um, start to shut some of that, um, you know, in, um, t- uh, use of those structures to minimise your personal income tax. I mean, we want to see the tax system used as a way to um, support real economic activity. We need we need the tax system to be driving investment in good um, investment um, where there is going to be jobs growth. Um, these kinds of shelters deliver none of that. All they are doing is ensuring that some parts of the population are able to uh, minimise their tax
1: bill and um, accumulate their own wealth. Um, so John Daly, how much do you think we could save over the Ford estimates in responsible ways, fair ways and ways that don't actually hurt economic growth?
2: Well, we could be saving uh, in the order of uh, six or seven billion dollars a year if we tightened up um, the age pension. Uh, we could be saving um, uh, in the order of uh, 6 or $7 billion a year if we were tightening up uh, superannuation tax concessions. Uh, if we reduced uh, the capital gains tax concession, which we haven't spoken about so far, we could easily be saving or five billion dollars a year and probably helping um, home ownership and housing affordability uh, into the bargain. Um, So you add those things up and you're rapidly heading towards about 20 billion. Things like tightening up the overseas, the the international corporate tax and the trusts, um, we think, are look, they're worth doing to make the tax system more fair and show that it's fair, but they're probably not going to raise a lot. The three things that I talked about in terms of Uh, age pension eligibility, um, superannuation tax concessions, capital gains tax, that's going to make about a $20 billion a year, so that's $80 billion over the forwards difference. Um, We've we've got this sort of persistent budget deficit of about $40 billion a year, so if we can take 20 uh, on those really big things and then we can start looking for all of the little things uh, that will help add up as well.
1: So now let's come back into the real world and think about how much of what we've just discussed might actually happen next Tuesday, and uh, if not, why not? Uh, John, what do you think?
2: Uh, well, I don't think, with the exception of maybe some minor tightening of age pension eligibility, um, I'd be surprised if we saw much of that. The government has said that major tax reform they're going to pursue outside of the budget process, no matter. Um, how obvious some of it might be and the fact that it's been there for a long time and they've indeed had uh, their own Audit Commission and their own um, uh, Financial Services Inquiry both recommend that the superannuation tax concessions have got well out of hand and essentially that's just taking a long time for them to get to it. uh, so I'd be surprised if we saw any material changes on the tax front. Uh, and on age pensions, as I said, I think we might see a little bit of tightening up around the edges. Uh, but it's really not going to be after the main game, which is saying that at the moment, people have got huge incentives to put a lot of money into their own houses uh, before they retire uh, and then can qualify for quite material pensions.
1: Stephen, what do you think?
0: Yeah, the chances are low, but it's important to also to remember that... Um, I have some sympathy for the for the government as they frame this budget because they are doing it from a position of economic uh, softness, if you like, that um, the economy has been growing below trend for at least three years now, and it's not since 2007 that we've had consecutive years of above trend GDP growth. That's the killer. If we were getting the economy growing uh, in real terms at three and a quarter, three and a half percent, in nominal terms at five and a half or five and three quarter percent like we used to get, then the budget position would miraculously be hugely better off. Now, obviously, we're heavily dependent on what happens in the world economy for that sort of context. But again, this is the sympathy for the government that it's very, very difficult to be uh, listening to Treasury advice and hearing that uh, the soft economic outlook would be made even worse with some of this fiscal tightening and perhaps an unemployment rate of six and a half six and three quarters or even seven percent may result particularly if you do assume a sort of lower case scenario for iron ore prices and global economic growth so that's that's a difficulty they're confronting um that said there's still a, an important need to get the structure of the budget right and even if you don't Fix the budget uh, in the current financial year. That you put in place policies that will help to ensure that it's in a better position in three, five, and ten years' time.
1: And Cassandra, you've obviously uh, spoken to the government about uh, retirement income savings, for instance. But how much of the savings that you've proposed do you think we're actually going to see next Tuesday?
3: We continue to urge the government Um, accept the shared responsibility for how we got to where we are right now. I think um, the sorts of um, rolling back of um, measures um, that are hurting the revenue picture that we're advocating, many are are revenue measures that were introduced during the boom era. You know, the superannuation tax concessions, the assets tests, the pension, even the private health insurance rebate. These were all... um, and the childcare rebate. These were all measures introduced during the boom era, um, and I think a lot of commentators and um, the economists are also say many of those were mistakes at that time because they were not um, investing in driving the real economy. So that's where we are right now. We think the government should take a um, be prepared to accept the shared responsibility across both the previous Labor government and the one before that to say we need to reset it we need to pull back on some of those and then line by line um, absolutely make that decision about whether or not um, a revenue or expenditure measure is going to impact positively in terms of good social and economic outcomes. I think the last thing I'd say is it would be a big mistake for government to think that the public are not up for reform because of the reaction to last year's budget. There was a reaction to last year's budget because it was the wrong one. Um, And we certainly think that um, The public does want Australia to build on the strengths that it's already got, but recognise that if we don't turn the ship around, um, we will have um, a big question about where those jobs are going to come from in the future. We want some real investment there.
1: Okay, so last question. Given that there is obviously a degree of consensus across uh, welfare groups, across business groups, across think tanks like your think tank, John, about some of the best places to make savings, and yet it doesn't look like the government's going to move down a lot of those paths. What's the problem? What What's the blockage? What's standing in the way of the government doing the sort of things that, you know, this imaginary ERC and lots of other people have suggested that they should do, John?
2: Well, I think there's two things. One is uh, they made promises before the last election which were mutually inconsistent. They promised to both get the budget under control and not cut health and education and not adversely change superannuation and so on. Uh, And they couldn't possibly keep all of those promises and they've essentially decided to keep the promise around superannuation and they've decided to Um, Well, we'll see what they do on pensions. Um, Why superannuation should be the one promise that they keep out of that long list, I don't quite understand. But anyway, that's the choices that they've made. Um, In terms of a lot of these things, uh, the the problem is um, that these are things that will essentially be particularly bad for um, older, better off people. Uh, and uh, those are people who are very influential in uh, pre-selection processes. So, not uh, so the politics of doing this, uh, particularly the internal politics, is very, very difficult.
1: And uh, Stephen, what do you think?
0: I, I would just also note that perhaps um, not that I'm expecting a rabbit out of the hat, but the recent run of economic news has generally been pretty good, um, and we've had the employment numbers being roughly double what was assumed at MyEFO back in December, so in five short months we've had a much improved labour market. Uh, the iron ore price is actually higher today in Aussie dollar terms and was assumed at MyEFO, even though we've seen the headline figure falling to some extent and then rebounding and uh, well above what Mr Hockey was suggesting, the 35 US dollars a tonne might be in the budget. Um, and we've also had things like wages growth no worse than expected. So in a, in a sense, um, while we can't rely on growth just to deliver the return to surplus in a hurry, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see some uh, a, a mildly pleasant surprise just on the bottom line of the budget, assuming that the decisions taken in the budget are revenue neutral. And of course, that's a critical thing. The politics of some of the uh, decision-making is is difficult. Uh, It is difficult to take money away from people, as we've discussed just uh, in the last little while. And while while that is the case, they're behind in the polls. They've got no political capital left. It's very, very hard to do that. And we're now within, what, 16 or 17 months of the election. Okay, thank you.
1: Well, that's it for this episode of Big Picture Politics. And I'd like to thank my guests, Cassandra Goldie, John Daly and Stephen Kukulis. Thanks for listening.
0: more great downloads, head to theguardian.com slash audio.